really understanding what what truly matters. That's what we always talk about. Everyone just likes to draw for the sake of drawing, but it's like, how do we how do you get everyone to really think about what what really matters, and and how can you then portray that in, in the drawings and get that idea across? Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. This is a podcast about the lives of architects. About the people and stories behind the buildings that we see around us and the images that brought them to life. And with the very international world that we live in. This show will purposefully be local and narrow. Only focusing on the Colorado community of designers. Hey, welcome to Architecting. I'm the host, Adam Wagner, and normally this is the part where I'd say, uh, yeah, I'm I'm an architect, a uh, Denver-based architect. I'm an architect at Open Studio Architecture, and I teach at CU, but you know what? I don't work at Open Studio Architecture anymore. I have uh, my own firm that I started called Vessel Office of Architecture. So we took about a two-month break from the podcast, mostly to get Vessel Office of Architecture up and running. Um, but now we're, we're up and going again and, and I have got somebody else here on the podcast too, another host. I always talk about my wife and now you're on the microphone. Hi. <laughs> Rebecca Wagner. So honored to be on architecting. <laughs> you, we tried to put you on as our very, as our very first host, uh, but you thought it was too boring and, uh. Well, I knew you were just asking me all the questions you already knew the answers to. Yeah. I felt very silly to answer. Yeah. That. Yeah, that, that felt weird. Um but anyway, so now now you'll be on a little bit here, um helping me introduce people. Yeah. So, mostly how it is is that uh I do the interviews and then uh normally I tell Rebecca about the interviews, um and then she listens to them when they come out, but this time I haven't been telling her about the interviews so she doesn't know it's a big mystery. What happened? So, so today, uh, that's our dog. He's having dreaming. <laughs> our dog is having a, a bad He's dream. Yelping in, in his sleep. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Well, we'll edit that out. Uh, I didn't think this recording studio could get any smaller. <laughs> and then, now there's two of us. You mean our pantry? Our pantry and cool closet. Yeah. But today, the podcast we're having is a a good one. Here's here's a person who went to see you. Okay. He he graduated and got a job like a week out of school. Okay. A, a job where he would have rather have been fishing, <laughs> but he took the job and he never left and he's been there I don't know, like 18 years or something like that. Is and it- now he's the principal. Adam Harding? <laughs> it is Adam Harding. Nice. I was, yeah, you kind of knew the answer. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, this guy, he just he just knows what he wants to do. He, uh, he has a goal and he does it. He was the AIA Colorado Young Architect of the Year, the whatever, like the Mountain State mm-hmm. Architect of the Year, Young Architect of the Year. And he was just recently... A national young yeah. architect of the year. Last year, the the last year he could be young enough to do it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you What do you think of this guy? You know him? No, I don't know much about him. I know that he was the AIA Colorado president recently, 
Um, so I saw his face up and around, but um, yeah, how the how the interview go? It went well. Yeah, uh, we connected really well. I I just try to get as many architects named Adam on the show, <laughs> and we um, connect pretty well. But um, yeah, so he talks about his projects, his his uh, kind of career arc. Yeah, and then we have a, a bonus segment at the end um, where we really get into some good stuff. Uh, we talk about how he's he's running Ross Shepard um, and really setting the culture and uh, shared goals for the company. Um, and, and part of those shared goals, we get into their uh, Ross Shepard's Department of Curiosities that he just created. Department uh, of Curiosities? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I saw this on Instagram uh, and I didn't know what was going on, but essentially... It's an event that they had where it started with red lights and cocktails, and it ended on the roof of a building where they were standing on bubble wrap. So, I'm intrigued. Check that out. Uh, we get into a little bit of his um, his painting and sort of how that influences work, and then finally we get into the Rabbit House, which is really one of my favorite Denver additions. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, really interesting um, Tudor House edition and, and how they really dove into the ideas of site and history and um, developed that. So I think it's good. Very cool. I can't yeah. wait to listen. Check it out. So our goal at Architecny is to help connect Colorado designers, and nobody is already doing this better than modern in Denver. For over a decade, Modern in Denver has been striving to bring architects together and to educate the public about what good design can be and can accomplish. I'm very excited to be working together with them now on this shared goal. So over the years, they have constantly created fantastically curated stories about Colorado designers and projects and work to connect the profession with live local events. So go out now, buy a copy of their new print issue, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. I'm liking, I'm liking that painting back there. I've got like four. Ooh, every color. Are you, are you in the office right now? No, I'm back in my house. I figured it out. Oh, yeah? So I'm not distracted. Are you guys, have you been out this whole time? Or are you even mostly in or... I myself have been in since last June, once my son could start going back to school. I just couldn't handle working from the kitchen table anymore on a laptop. Yeah. But come this June, like middle of this June, we we figured everyone who wanted to get vaccinated would get vaccinated by then. So we we're doing this hybrid model where we want everyone in the office the first and the last day of the week. Hmm. And the days in between, they could choose to be in there or work from home or wherever. So, and at the beginning of this year, we went to every other Friday off. So that becomes either Monday, Thursday, or Monday, Monday, Friday. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering how that works. It's like forcing yeah. people to be in there Friday. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see you later at at two o'clock. But yeah, it's good. I mean, you know, I think it's a good model. I, I don't know. Who knows? We'll see how it goes. Yeah. A month or so doing it so it's like but, everybody's figuring it out together and yeah what do yeah. you guys do 
Where do you work again, Adam? I, uh, I work at Open Studio. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. But gotcha. I uh, this is actually my last week there. I'm quit. I'm quitting and starting my own thing. So, okay. uh, but yeah. Exciting. So they. So actually, next week they're going to go to a like a three day mandatory in the office. But uh, okay. like it, you choose. I think probably Monday will be mandatory. But yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, I drive by your office like every day because my son's school is right down the street. Mm. Sorry, Academy of Colorado on like 25th and Curtis. And so I've always been looking like see if anyone's up in there, but it seems pretty quiet over there. <laughs> yeah, it's real quiet. Um, now it's starting to come back to life. Uh, um, but yeah. And that's an interesting corner. <laughs> yeah. It is. And it's, it's funny. Like, um, you kind of feel like you're up on a tower, you know, cause we're just on the second floor. And so you're just above all of it and you just hear all this activity and life going on down there. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Where, cause where, where are you guys at? Where's your office? We're next to course field on 19th and YZ. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and, And it's been there for a while. Yeah, we moved into that space back in 2011. So, 10 oh, okay. Ago. Before that, we were on 16th and Blake in the Carter Rice building there. Mm, nice. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I like to start off with this question of who are you? Can you answer it? In two yeah, sentences. Two sentences. All right. Uh, let's see. My name is Adam Harding. I'm an architect, a uh, painter, mm. a father, somewhat weird. <laughs> I like to have fun. I feel like I'm authentic in who I am and uh, I try to live that way. So Does nice. I like that one. Yeah. Authentic. I, you know, I appreciated these last years when you were the AIA president and like the little videos got a lot more interesting and, uh, brought, brought more of that life to it. But, yeah, it was fun. I'm, I'm glad I took on that role, you know, I, and I don't know, I had been on the board for VI Colorado for a number of years as the treasurer. And then I just was like, ah, so I need to liven things up and bring some fun back to the organization. So Try to do that. Yeah. So where'd you where'd you grow up? Where you, where you come from? So I was originally born in California, and my family moved to Evergreen, Colorado, when I was five. So I grew up in Evergreen. Went to elementary school, middle school, and high school, all in Evergreen, and then I went to CU Boulder for undergrad. Was that so? Was that a pretty easy choice? Stay in state and. Good, yeah, good architecture? Uh, How'd that come about? I mean, it was kind of... So the architecture thing, you know, I've always had this weird passion for creating things, whether it was art or... I don't know. I've got this weird, like, rain stick that I made when I was a kid. <laughs> like a real a real rain stick with the, yeah. the needles inside? and It's kind of a funny story. Like, we were <laughs> on vacation, maybe down in, like, Colorado Springs or something, but... We went into this Native American store and I was just fascinated by these objects in there. And the, I must have been like 10 or 11, you know, and the owner, you know, all these things were like going for hundreds of dollars. And the owner <laughs> saw how interested I was. And so 
he basically sold me all the parts and pieces um, and taught me how to make it and and made my own rain stick. I got a (laughs) basement here. It's kind of funny. Like the coolest kid in school. I don't know. Your rain stick. Yeah, my brother and sister thought I was a nerd and they were <laughs> making fun of me. And they, I think they still make fun of me. But. I remember that I had a rain stick too. Those they yeah. were they were hypnotic. Uh, yeah. So so you were, you were always kind of making things. Yeah, yeah. Love drawing, love art. You know, love painting. I go home from school and watch Bob Ross every day after school. And my mom got me a Bob Ross paint kit when i was a kid and in fact the knife i still use for painting today i uh it's, it's my bob ross <laughs> doesn't so, get any better yeah, yeah. yeah. so so I, I went into undergrad knowing that i wanted to do architecture um and i went to see you because i've got an older brother and we're good friends and he was there at the time and i'd go down there and you know on the weekends and party with them and his friends and it's kind of an easy choice for me. It was like, oh, I want to go to see you. And luckily I got in um, at the time. Like my high school counselor said I wasn't going to get in. So, <laughs> Yeah. Check out this rain stick. I, I have initiative. Let's yeah, do this. Exactly. Right. Uh, but, you know, that, that passion for art and creating things, it could have gone in a lot of different directions. Think, how, how did you know that it was architecture? That's a good question. I, you know... I guess this idea of, and I, you know, just like every architect, Legos, you know, right. So this idea of creating something that's more tangible, like that is in a place that is, can be something, I don't know, but really, I I had no clue what an architect did at the Mm -hmm. time. I remember my first studio, they are, we have like the first time to go and find these pictures of facades and I had to go up to the instructor after the class and I was like what's a what's a facade <laughs> like I had no clue if you know what I was doing and you know today even to this day I don't have a clue what I'm doing but. yeah what is a facade yeah <laughs> let's get real deep with it yeah, uh, no. but um I don't know I always kind of I went into school you know with the idea this is what I'm going to do I'm going to do the best that I can and give it my all. And, um, like we had this one studio where they were like, uh, the teachers were like giving us all the options of who they, who we could work with. And this, I remember that one of the instructors like, I'm going to tell you guys, my studio is going to suck. And there's a lot of homework and it's going to be really hard. And I remember thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to take this. I'm going to push myself to do the best I can. So, who who was that? I can't even remember his name. But who uh, who were the, some some of the like influential people there at school, and and what did you kind of get from it at that time? So back then, you know, it's it's actually kind of funny. Um, well, Chris Nims, I don't, mm. I'm sure you've heard his name. Um, he was my guess my senior studio instructor, but it's one of the one of the guys that I had. I think my third year was Rick Sommerfeld. Mm. Mm-hmm. and he's a good buddy of mine now and we threw a pr- party friday night at our office and he showed up and we had a good time but nice yeah so i you know i i appreciate i like chris was i think really invested in what i was doing and to the point where i was on 
maybe spring break or something. And we, I was doing my studio project and he called me out of the blue and was like, I've got it. Like, you know, he's like, I've been thinking about your project. And he's like, you should think about this and this and that. And I was like, dude, it's spring break. <laughs> Get the fuck alone. No. <laughs> That's when you figured out the architect's don't have a life even after yeah. school yeah uh, when you're yeah. <laughs> yeah uh yeah so i i mean i li- i like school i like i like being in the studio and hanging out with the friends and but i mean see as a party school i partied a lot too yeah and then did you go to grad school there as well no so this is a fun story so yeah my senior year, I was living in a house with um, the basement unit was a single unit. And then upstairs, there were three girls living upstairs. And one of the girls was um, Herb Roth's daughter, Jamie Roth, who hmm. I've known since middle school because she's from Evergreen as well. And so so I've known her forever. And it was funny. I uh, After graduated, I was walking, you know, packing up my shit from the house and had a box in my hand and Herb was there helping Jamie move out of the house. And he's like, Hey, you just graduated from the architecture program. You want to come in and interview? And I was like, uh, I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, shit, man, like, not, not really. I kind of want to take the summer off and go fishing. Just fuck around. But, um, I went back and, told my parents, my mom's like, you're going to be kicking yourself for the interview. So I didn't have a portfolio put together or anything. I had my models from school, from studio. So I remember I, I like that next Monday or something, I showed up to uh, Herb and Jeff's office and wearing this like horrible suit that was probably too big for me, carrying like my hands are full of my like models, you know, and I get in there and talk to them and I think, I think it was Herb. He's like, Oh man, I got an interview this afternoon. Can I borrow your suit? <laughs> you <know? laughs> so they gave me a job, even though I didn't know what, what I'm doing. And so and it was funny because they're like, all right, show up next Monday at 7 30 AM. And I'm like, all right. So You're I'm like, can I have a few weeks off or yeah, uh, yeah I got some part of it was like, I was, I had this like summer trip to go to Europe for a couple of weeks with a buddy of mine. And so I told him that and they're like, yeah, you could go. It's fine. And I show up on Monday, 7.30 AM. That's when the office opens. And so I get there 7.30 sharp office is locked, lights <laughs> off. I'm like, Oh my God. I like, is there, is this like a holiday or something? And so I'm just sitting on the floor outside the door, just like, I don't know what's going on until like 8.30 a.m. And Brandon Anderson walks up and he's uh, like, oh, you're the new guy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's how I met Brandon. They, they were just they were just seeing if you'd actually show up then or, or what? Yeah, Who knows, man? I guess the hours were 7.30 to 5.30, but no huh. one got until 8.30, so. And then Brandon's the first guy you meet. That's funny. Yeah, it is funny. Yeah. Brandon and I have a long history. It's fun. <laughs> so what what was uh what was the office like back then? Kind of how big was it and and what were they doing? Yeah, back then um there was about I want to say 12 people in the office back then. 
And this was back when we were on 16th Blake. And this was like what, like 2005 or something or four, four. Yeah. Um, so it was, and they had a big project in the office. We were working on the LAPD headquarters. Mm. And so that was a huge project for the office. And they had some other projects going on. I, we were doing some movie theaters back then, Scandinavian design, furniture stores, mm. and Tokyo Joe's, and some residential work. Um, and I, I mean, I remember they threw me an AutoCAD. I, I took like an elective of AutoCAD back in the day. I had no clue what I was doing. I, I had to ask for help right away. And then they were like, all right, you can't do AutoCAD. Let's have them build a, a model. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I elect not to do AutoCAD. Yeah. yeah. I built a model. So they had me do that for a little bit. But, um, and it was funny. I remember I had this great seat in the office, like, like Prima, like by the window, nice big cubicle. And then I go on my two week vacation to Europe and I get back and they hired someone else and put him in that seat. So like, you're back in the car. <laughs> I was like, How was Europe? Yeah. 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 Welcome yeah. back. Yeah. it is also another funny thing about it is like and my my business partner now brian he always brings it up all the time because he found this like sheet that had everyone's salaries of what they made you know throughout the years at ralph shepherd like when herb and jeff retired he found it in like herb's desk and so he brings he whips that out all the time to remind <laughs> that when i started i was making twenty three thousand dollars a year <laughs> Uh, and and you were probably like living like a king, right? At a school and in your basement apartment and <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that was so that 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 started from talking about grad school, and yeah, so yeah. you got that, and then yeah. yeah, what happened? So you know, I worked for you know probably a couple years, maybe two years, and I started thinking about going back to grad school, and I. You know, I, I would talk to Herb about it and, you know, in my mind, my goal at that point was like, I wanted to get licensed and I'm working for a great firm and I've got, I kind of maybe, I don't know, proven myself that I can do things that I had a good design. I worked with Jeff a lot and we were doing fun stuff, you know, I was working on really great projects and having a good time. And so Colorado had was one of the states where you could get licensed without a master's degree. And so the way I looked at it was like, okay, I could either work for five years and take my test. Cause back then you had to have your, all your experience before you could even take the test. Or I could go to work for three years and then go to grad school for two years and take the test. And so it was kind of like five years was kind of the idea. And so thinking about what, what am I really going to get out of grad school? And in my mind, it was, okay, I'm going to be exposed to a lot more different ways of thinking about architecture, a lot more theory and stuff. Mm -hmm. And to me, I really like the practical side. I was mm -hmm. getting design, a lot of fun stuff. And it was, it just came down to, I liked where I was working. I was working on fun projects and I was getting really good practical experience, you know, everything. We're such a small office. And I think that's what I love about our office. Even now we're 16 people and we've always been in that 12 to 18 person range, but being in that environment, you have to wear so many hats because 
everyone has to know how to do everything. And so it makes you a really well-rounded architect in my eyes, really quickly. Mm-hmm. The learning curve is steep. It's very steep, but you are able to, you know, and, and we don't have, and you know, our philosophy in our office is that, you know, we are, we don't have interior designers. It's, we do everything, you know? So one day you're picking out tile and carpet and paint. The next day you might be on a job site dealing with the contractor you know, the next day you might be working on CDs or design. And so it's like you, you have to really learn to train your brain to do many things at different times, which I really liked. And you know, you never were pigeonholed into just kind of doing one thing, which may or may not be true with other offices, mm-hmm. but with, with our office, it was, it's not the case. And, and, and so I like that a lot. And I was getting a lot of great experience. So I never went to grad school. I decided I'm just going to keep working here. I love what I'm doing. And when I was able to take the tests, I was like, I'm going to get, my goal is to get licensed by the time I, before 30. And so I started when I was maybe 27 and finished when I was 29, you know? Mm. And so it was, uh, that was kind of my path to, to licensure was I'm working on fun stuff. And I'm getting great experience and let's just get it done. Yeah. I think you're really interesting. Like, I feel like I had this conversation a lot with uh, Renata Godel on the last one, but of just where she knew kind of exactly what she wanted to do. And mm-hmm. and we haven't talked a lot, but I've, in the few times, it's like, I feel like you're so unique in that you, you've been at one firm, like your entire career and, and say, to the point of like, it seems like everybody's path is like, okay, especially in CU, you, you do undergrad, then you do grad and then you get a job. And, but of just being like, no, that's not what I want. This is what I want. I, I can buck the n- normal system and I can create these, these goals at this one place. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. How, how many people do you know who have been at uh, one firm as long as you, it's, it's, it's really impressive. Yeah. I don't know anyone. I mean, yeah. It's, I, I, maybe it's weird. Maybe I'm just a weirdo. I don't know. You're I, special. I, yeah, I'm special. special. <laughs> so what, what, what is it about? I mean, that's interesting hearing about kind of the inner workings of Ross Shepard. And, uh, you know, I've never met Herb or Jeff, but what, what kind of brought them together? And then how did, did they really set that, that way of working uh, kind of from the beginning? And, think so 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 herb was working i guess back in the 70s at a firm munchau's office um pretty prominent design firm back in the 70s and 80s and mm. jeff was making his way from the east coast or i guess the south um and his goal was to get to california but he stopped in denver and um ended up getting a job there too and so um they started working together on projects and i think the dynamic in that office started to fall apart back in the early eighties and Herb and Jeff decided that they were going to set up shop and, and start their own thing. And so Roth Shepard was founded in 1983 and it was just the two of them. And you know, they like to say that they would, you know, just cold call people and uh, try to get work. And, and they, they started to get some projects and, and then they, ended up getting this police station project uh, in California. And I think that kind of really kickstarted things for them. And and that put us on that path of that municipal work that we're kind of known for across the country now. Um, yeah. So, but they were doing like, 
a lot of retail back then and like the design center they did that projects in there and back in the day and hmm. so kind of interesting but that idea of this small office i think probably grew from that and that ability to i don't know why they never wanted to grow it more or or what but i think they liked there's a certain point where when an office gets too big you can't be involved and that's kind of how brian and i look at it we are the partners and the principals or whatever you want to call us but we have just we have talks about that it's like we don't want to get too big because we want to still be involved in every project in whatever capacity that means and i think once you start to get too big that starts to fall apart just because you only have so much time and effort that you can give out so but when i started there it was you know you're thrown in the fire and, and that's kind of how brian and i do it today you know you, you start and you get thrown in the fire and you got to ask for help and figure it out and but everyone's really supportive because we've all gone through that process yeah but is that it it has to be a pretty is it a hard balance to 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 take of when you're doing good projects and you're getting more projects coming in but saying no knowing when to say no to be able to keep the office small at that level yeah 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 for sure um and we talk and we talk about that a lot too. And part of it is, you know, I think our biggest, you know, factor that goes into whether we want a project. One, we one, it's got to be fun. It's got to be interesting for us. And two, we don't want to work with assholes. We've worked with a lot of assholes over the time. And it's how can we start to vet out those clients? And and we tell them that in our when we meet them for the first time. Like, hey. We're going to be straight up. We don't want to work with assholes. And yeah. you kind of know how they respond to that question. And I told the city of Denver that when we went in and talked to them, <laughs> they were just like, oh. <laughs> um, but, uh, we're, you know, we, we want to work with people that value what we do and value good architecture. And, and you know, not all projects are that, but, and you got to take what you got to take when you have to take it, right? Mm-hmm. So back when COVID hit last year, we were, just taking anything that came in the door um, just because we didn't know what was going to happen. So, but I, you know, luckily for us, we are such a, we have such a diverse portfolio um, in terms of what we do with the municipal work. We do a lot of work for the veterans affairs. Now we do a lot of retail, a lot of restaurants, we do some residential, you know, anything from a 200 square foot little coffee shop to a, 800,000 square foot, you know, municipal building. It's, uh, it's kind of all over the place. And so that ability to have such a diverse and varied portfolio, I think also gives everyone an opportunity to learn how the intricacies of working on a small project versus Hmm. a big project and and really understanding what, what truly matters. That's what we always talk about. Everyone just likes to draw for the sake of drawing, but it's like, how do we, how do you get everyone to really think about what what really matters and and how can you then portray that in, in the drawings and get that idea across and so um, conversations that are always ongoing right yeah what do you have do you have a, a project that really sticks in your mind as one that that kind of checks all those boxes of of all those client block boxes and it's fun and you yeah, just yeah. nailed it I mean my favorite project that I've ever worked on was the Izakaya Den restaurant mm. Sushi Den guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was 
by far the most rewarding like project, not only like the ideas, the concept behind it and just the, the architecture of it, but how, how complicated it was of a project and, and working really intimately with Toshi, the owner of Sushi Den. Um, and I'm working on another project for them right now, but it's like, you know, he'd come over and, and in the morning and we'd sit at my desk and we'd talk about the idea and we would just draw, I would just draw through it as we talk through it. And, and, you know, then, so we're on the same page very easily. So that relationship, with that client has been very rewarding in, the, in our, in our process and the way we get through to the end of it has been very great. Um, but the complication, like just how complicated that project was and all the different pieces of figuring out, you know, how do you even grow bamboo inside a restaurant in a Colorado climate? Right. And the reality is, is like, you have to buy that bamboo from someplace in Florida, you know, months, six months in advance. And then they have to put it in a warehouse so that all the leaves fall off and it acclimates to an indoor environment and they grow back and then they put them on a truck and then they ship them here. And then you got them in the building and planted it. And then you have moisture. And then we ran into this mite problem. And like you say, but it gets so much more intricate about, and that's just the bamboo aspect of it. You know, like how do we then deal with these little mites that are on the leaves and and it, like that going from such a, a macro idea to dealing with those micro like issues or problems and learning how to solve those is really rewarding. Then like, you know, it's got the sliding glass roof yeah. and operable windows that open up with a hand crank and working with those guys out of Seattle and like so many different things. And then the most complicated part of that was we connected the two buildings, the existing sushi den and that building together. And there's a basement that's connected underneath. And so like figuring out like finished floors and like, I mean, it was just like crazy. And hmm. the shoring of how we had to like make sure the other buildings didn't fall in on us. Cause we're right at the, you know, building to building and it was, and, and to see it all come together and have it be such a beautiful intimate experience and, and have that idea, that initial idea and concept come together and to, see it be come to life with people and the lighting and the atmosphere. It is, it's, it's very rewarding. And it's one of my favorite places to go eat. And, and I love taking people there to go eat. Cause then I could start to talk to them about all these things and, you know, about the light fixtures, like why are there these round balls? And well, it goes back to, you know, Izakayas, which were traditionally, these brew pubs for the working class back in old Japan. And that's where everyone would go and they would drink and they would have small bites to eat. But it goes back to then the idea of how they brewed the sake. And so they would take these balls of green cedar after they brew a, a sake batch and they would tie the sake ball or these cedar balls to the cask. And then as those would age, they would get browner and browner and browner and so these sugatama balls would become their calendar of how mm. they determine when the sake was done you know fermenting and then so that was the inspiration for the light fixtures you know over the tables and and so just like all these little things mm. that led to the that idea and, and seeing it all come to life and you know it was just it was that's my favorite project yeah that's interesting yeah it's such a it's such a great environment in there that kind of just feels like it's always been there like it's a it, it just it feels sort of grown grown in or something you know i um 
because is that that's an existing building, right? It was a adaptive reuse. No, so that no, was not a, that. But you know, it was interesting when we there used to be an old it was called the Pearl Street Pub, I think that used to be their building. So when we tore that existing building down, we discovered those clay blocks that are now on the outside of the new building. And so originally, I think we had like a brick on these beautiful clay blocks and we're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to reuse these as the facade of this new building. And so I just use that term facade. You know what it is now. Where, um, you know, it was covered with plaster and stuff. And so the, the general contractor, I think the superintendent's wife and her friends would go out on site and like, chip away the plaster on like, I don't know how many blocks to clean them up like during the day so that we could use them for the front of the building. That's kind of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So you talked, you talked a little bit about that sort of you being the principal now or the co-principal, but what, what was that transition like of, of transitioning from a, a named firm, right. To a new generation yeah. and taking that over. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a roller coaster, let me tell you. Herb and Jeff, they had been talking about it for a while, even back in like the early two, or I guess late 2000s. And then the recession hit in 2008, 2009, and it kind of went quiet. And then back in 2016, they approached myself and my business partner, Brian, and then one other person, and they basically offered us to become partners. And so I was interested, Brian was interested. Um, and the other guy was kind of on the fence. He decided it wasn't for him, just wasn't in right place, right time in his life. Um, and so Brian and I signed the letter and, and we started that process. And uh, it's kind of interesting, like when you, they were working with a, a, a transition coach, his name's Peter Piven. He kind of wrote the book on architectural firm hmm. transitions. Um, and so they were working with him as a third party consultant to kind of help them navigate this. But Peter's like, Hey, typically this is like a 10 year process. Hmm. And originally when we sat down, this was 2016, Herb and Jeff, right? We're going to do this as a, a five year deal together when, when we walk out the door. Well, they realized soon enough that the lease was up on our office that in two, at the summer of 2018. So that quickly changed. They're like, we're not signing our name on a lease. For free. So two years to figure it out. And it was a roller coaster. Huh. Um, but it was fine. You know, we got through it. You know, there was a lot of hard conversations that we had to have, the four of us, and a lot of heated conversations. Um, I remember Jeff yelling at me at lunch, in the middle of lunch at this restaurant once. And I was just like, <laughs> but, um, you're like, you're fired. Get out. Yeah. yeah, yeah Pack yeah. your things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we got through it and it was great. You know, Brian and I were very aligned on how we wanted to run the firm moving forward. I think it's very common for first generation firm owners to, you know, they're starting a business and it's just like, we're, we're starting, we're, we're an architecture firm and we're just getting work and it's just this kind of organic thing. Whereas second generation, I feel like 
we wanted to go into it with a very business mindset. Hmm. How can we run this more efficiently? How can we set processes in place and to really take it to the next level? And so we were very much on the same page, which was helpful. Um, and so that's what we did. We, we work with a business coach. Uh, I, a friend of mine had given me this book called Traction, and it's written by a guy named Gina Wickman. And if you're an entrepreneur, I would recommend reading it, but it's a very kind of straightforward approach to writing a company or business and kind of how you kind of can scale that up or just be more efficient. And so, so I read the book, I gave it to Brian, he read the book, we were on board, we're like, let's do that. And so we actually, it's, we implemented it. It's called um, the EOS entrepreneurial operating system. Mm. And we work with a coach out of Boulder. We meet with her every month, every quarter. And it's this very systematic approach. And so we have been slowly building up on this over the past three years now. Um, Herb and Jeff walked out of the office June of 2018. And Ryan and I were st- sitting there like, all right, now what? <laughs> Let's try not to fuck this up. Because I got to put my big big suit on again. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah. But it's been fun, you know, it's, it's, we set a, a vision, our, our mission, we, we made core values, which, you know, Herb and Jeff never had. And, and we live by these things, you know, mm. this is, we know, we set our 10 year goal of where we want to be and what we want to be doing and our three year picture. And every year we set one year goals to reach that. And we've kind of got this beautiful picture of what our firm, what we want our firm to work with. And, and we communicate this with the staff. We're very transparent, which Herb and Jeff, we're not, you know, we talk about the financials, how we're doing as a company financially um, with everyone in the office. There's no surprises. It's like, this is where we did last quarter. This is our goal. This is what our goal is next quarter. And our process of this is that we want everyone on the same page as us. We want everyone to have the same vision as us and we want to all be rowing in the same direction to get there. And so it's, it's important to us that we communicate that openly and transparently with everyone in our office and talk about it frequently and reward each other for exhibiting our core values and to make sure that we're all on the same page. Just not Brian and I kind of sitting in the corner. Yeah. We don't, we don't sit in the corner. We sit out in the, in the open office with everyone. We don't have any offices. But you at least get that nice big window. You didn't get stuck in the back, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, going back to that real quick. So I was, I was, I got stuck back in this like shared office with Brandon Anderson. He had the night, and I stared at a brick wall that was two feet in front of my face for about a good two years. But we had fun in there. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot. That you put like yeah. a mirror in front of you on your brick wall, and so you could see what he was up to. And. But I guess I never thought about that too much of the of the sort of second generation firm owners and that difference that has to, that has to be there of, you know, they went through that hard, those hard times of being two guys staring at each other, right. trying to get anything. And then and it, it you've kind of always been there with that system and then having the sort of freedom to set back and say, OK, yeah, what do we what do we want to do? And and then remembering that feeling of being out of the loop and being able to share it with people, you know, and 
I get it. Like if you start the, your, your own firm and you've struggled for all those years, you know, it's probably easier to hold things closer to your chest, you know, uh, yeah. but then coming along and, and opening it up and, huh. So then what was the discussion about, uh, like with the, with the name, you know, that's always an interesting thing of yeah. what happens there. I don't know. I, Brian and I, I don't feel like we have egos, you know, we, we want, to just do the best work that we can do as an office. And we didn't really care. Like Herb and Jeff, it's their legacy. They started the firm and we are here to continue that legacy and propel it forward. And so, and we, that name has a lot of clout, you know, in our industry, it's been around forever. It's if we were to go and change it, no one would know who the fuck Harding Berryhill was or Roth Shepard, Harding Berryhill. I mean, that's too long. And we do, work all over the country and people know that name. And so we didn't want to fuck that up. We wanted to have that ability to use that leverage where we can, because like I said, we didn't know what we're doing. We still don't know what we're doing. As, <laughs> as owners. Every day it's, uh, it's a new thing that we're dealing with and it's like, all right, let's figure it out. But it's fun. I got to say, um, but we don't know what we're doing. Sounds like you have a lot more systems than most architects. So at least, at least you're doing that. But yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been really, I don't know where we would be if we didn't go through that process of like figuring all that stuff out when we first took over, because maybe there wouldn't be a Roth Shepherd anymore. I don't know, but hmm. it's really been instrumental in just how we operate as a firm and, and how we, think about what we do and how we get everyone on the same page. And and once again, like you ask anyone in our office, what our 10 year goal is, they could tell you. Hmm. And you ask anyone what our core values are, they could tell you and what we do. And, and, and that's what I wanted because before when I was working there with Herb and Jeff, you could ask everyone in the office and you'd probably get 12 different answers. And so that's something that I wanted to change right off the bat. It's like, we need to all be aligned on who we are, what we do and where we're going. Cause if not, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. It's so powerful to have a, have a vision like that, that you can articulate. And it's, it's seems so hard to come up with really, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, I want to be a good architect doing good design. And you say, well, okay, what, what does good mean in both of those statements? And yeah can draw a blank but so so we have the Ross Shepard element but I think since since I've been here in Colorado like five years I've pretty much just known you as like Mr. AIA you're you're just always mm-hmm. around so what, what uh what kind of brought you into the AIA uh and and got you so invested in it yeah um so like I said earlier my kind of main goal when I, earlier in my career was to get licensed. I want to get licensed before I turned 30, did that. And then it, it was kind of left with the question, now what, right? I've been working towards this goal for so long. Now what? Uh, Herb and Jeff had sent me to this kind of business management training. It was offsite. It was three days and it was run by this, it's called impact management. And it was started by this guy named David Feesby and they had sent some other people to him over the years and they decided it was my turn to go 
deal with this. And, and it was really, it was, you know, I look back on my career and it was probably the, the pivotal moment in my career of really understanding what I wanted or, or really thinking about where, where I wanted to go. And, and so, and through that process, you know, you had to send out all these surveys to all your coworkers and bosses, and it was all sent back anonymous to David. And, and so you got this real time feedback, you know, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And, and then at the end of that weekend, you had to set a five-year goal, you know, asking yourself, you know, what is it that I really want? And I knew that I just didn't want to be an architect that was just, you know, nine to five. This is my job. You know, I'm just kind of coasting through. I wanted to really push myself to be the best architect, not knowing what that means. But I started to think about it and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, my five-year goal is I want to be young architect of the year for Colorado, Mm -hmm. not knowing what that meant Mm -hmm. or how to even achieve that. But I knew that setting that audacious goal was going to push me to do things that I wouldn't have done if I didn't set that goal. And so I used that as a catalyst. And so I knew that to achieve that, I had to get involved in AIA. And I also reached out to past winners who, you know, I didn't know, but they're friends of mine now, you know, like Ken Andrews and Brad Tomasek. Mm. I remember calling them up out of the blue and saying, Hey, can I buy you a coffee? I want to talk to you about this young architect deal. Yeah. Um, and just hearing their stories and, you know, we're good friends now. And, um, but I think that's what you got to do. You know, you gotta, you gotta set your side on something that's going to push you to do more than what you would typically do. And so, so I got involved with AIA. I went to the emerging professionals committee. And I think at that time there was just a handful of people that would attend those. And, you know, I, I, I started to get involved in that and I, I joined Toastmasters International and did that for a couple of years mm. for public speaking. Mm. And because one of some of the feedback that I uh, gotten from that seminar, that workshop was that I was not a good public speaker. Huh. I knew, like I, I hated it. And so, That's you know, funny. but like getting that feedback really pushed myself to like, okay, what these are, these are my, you know, weaknesses. How can I turn those into strengths? And so, but that emerging professionals committee, I then, started to chair that and we started to get stuff done. You know, like I, I just like, I think it's that idea of once again, like building something tangible, actually doing something. And so we started to do some really fun stuff and we started to get more people coming to it. You know, I think by the time I was done chairing it, you know, there was 30 people in the room and versus like when I started, there was like five of us. Yeah. It was just, I think people want to feel like they're accomplishing things and want to be a part of something that is actually doing stuff and, and have fun doing it. You know, I, I like to bring my weird quirky self to the table and try to lighten things up and have fun while I'm doing it. And, um, and so from the emerging professionals committee, then I got involved, I got elected to the board to probably a seat that no one wanted, you know, the treasurer. I don't know if I had any competition, maybe I was up against someone, but, um, but I guess to go back, you know, in 2014, I won Young Architect of the Year for Denver back when Denver was a chapter, which mm. that was great. And then 2015, I won for Colorado and the Western Mountain region. And so, you know, that validity of actually putting my plan my into place and kind of 
figuring out how to get there was starting to come true. And I like that. I like being involved. I like to um, kind of keep that momentum going. So I became treasurer for AI Colorado and I did that for two years. And then I was kind of approached, you know, a little shoulder tap saying, Hey, you thought about running for president elect. And then threw my hat on the table for that. And I don't, I don't know if I had any, I think uh, your option was Adam or absent, absentee, you know, and my office was like, uh, we didn't vote for you. <laughs> but, uh, You're like, good thing I voted for myself. Yeah, I got exactly. it in. Yeah. But you know, it, yeah. it's a thankless job, but it, it's that ability to take on more things and to actually make change, I think is, is important. And, and through that, through all these steps, I started to understand who my authentic leadership self was, which I think also helped me in my firm and how I can then be a better leader for the people in my firm. Because all of these were kind of happening simultaneously, you know, like being involved at the board level was when I started to talk about this transition stuff. And so this kind of leveling up, you know, um, up until, you know, last year where I was president and I was like, we really need to make some changes. You know, once again, I, I was taking what I learned also in my firm and then trying to apply it to AI Colorado mm. as well. And so last year it was like, all right, we really need to set a new vision and mission. You know, we, when was the last time that's was done? It's been years and we need to set some core values. Like we need to know who we are and what we stand for. And we need to measure ourselves to these and, and make our decisions based on, on these as an organization. So last year we did that. And then we needed to set some goals, some, some imperatives, like what are we working toward? We can't say yes to everyone. We need to start to really be focused on what really matters to our profession and, and also be aligned with what's happening at the national level. You know, if, if things are just being told from the top down and you don't have that buy-in from the bottom up, then nothing's going to change. And so I really wanted to be aligned with what national is doing in terms of, you know, the environmental stewardship and uh, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. And then throughout the years of of my time on the board, there was a lot of headbutting. A lot of people were not happy with AIA Colorado. There was this like pulling apart of the different sections and this, like, it just was this bad vibe, you know, Mm -hmm. like, happy there was no alignment and so we decided that our third imperative should be culture of belonging how do we get people more involved at whatever level they are in their communities how do we empower them to do things and start to say yes versus always saying no and so that was kind of the three imperatives that we set so it was environmental stewardship jedi culture of belonging Say, let's focus on these. Let's get some shit done and start putting some action into, into place. And so that's what we've been trying to do the past, you know, two years since we started this. Obviously COVID hit and things got a little bit, um, dicey, but I think even last year, you know, with during my presidency with COVID, I, we got a lot of shit done. We revised the bylaws, which hadn't been done in a long time. And, and we, you know, to align with our new mission, vision and values and also our imperatives and, and how can we start to make some really good change for the organization? And so, um, once again, like my, you only have one year as president and I was like, all right, how much shit can I get done? And 
let's fucking do it. So, yeah, I was going to say, was it hard to step down? Like, yeah, I'm just getting started. Yeah. 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 I, it's, it's funny. Like I, I feel very disconnected. You know, we have our board meetings now, but I got to let the, the current president, you know, you can just be whispering to Rachel's ears. Yeah. Do this. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, at least I was able to plant a seed and I hope that, that, um, keeps growing and, and we keep doing great things. So. Right. And it kind of goes back to like those defined goals, like you're talking about, right. You set these three things in, in motion and it allows people to come, come along. And especially in organizations like that, where it's all part-time and trying to get anything moving or changed, that has to be difficult, but yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's fun. I was kind of bummed, you know, as president, you get to go to like all these cool conferences. Those are all canceled, but, uh, so. Yeah. I mean, and then, and then going back to this sort of goal setting, you know, of course, then this, this year, it was a big year for you being national, you know, AIA young architect. Um, yeah. So that had to be another huge check. Does yeah. it, does it get um, difficult I now finding that next? This is my last year as young architect. So I, I think they might've given it to me out of, uh, <laughs> out of a pity, you know, but you know, but it, it's you got to have that passion and perseverance. Like I, ever since 2016, since uh, or 2015, since I won Colorado and WMR, I've tried every year, hmm. and haven't won it every year. Hmm. So that's that's pushed me to all right. What do I need to keep doing? How can I keep doing more? And that motivation has really kind of pushed me in my thinking about how can I still become better and push myself. Um, so never give up. You know, if that's my, that's yeah. what I say. That's interesting. And, and also, you know, it seems like awards are, are difficult sometimes of, I can get kind of sucked up in them, right? I want this award or whatever. And I, I work hard for it. And then, then I get it. And a lot of times it kind of just feels hollow or it's something I nominated myself for or something, you know, but it's, yeah. but it's that idea of that. Well, kind of what's it, what's it for? And this idea of it's for me to continue pushing myself uh, is an interesting stance uh i mean like i said you know like if i didn't even win this year like looking back at what i've done to get to where i am it's it's all about the journey right the award is great like i love that i won but looking about back at what i've accomplished over the past 10 years since when i got licensed to now is pretty awesome like in my eyes like i feel like i did that thing that i set up that i wanted to do i didn't want to just be an architect that was just kind of flatlining it and the growth that I've seen over the past 10 years has been pretty amazing in my eyes. And I, and I, and I want to keep doing that. You know, I've got more big audacious goals that I've set and I'll keep pushing myself and see where I land up. But, yeah. I liked, uh, I forgot what article this was, but you were interviewed here and I, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to quote you here uh, of where you said, uh, where they asked you something like, what's the biggest challenge for architects in Colorado? And you said, how do architects stay relevant in our communities and help guide and drive the conversation in a positive way? How do we advocate for a better built environment? We all love Colorado, so we have to work together to make it better. I like that a lot, but you're just asking questions. I want the answers. What? So how do, how do we do some of those things? I you, mean, know? you know, people need to get involved and people need to care. And, hmm. and I feel like, once again, there's a lot of people that it's just a nine to five job and they got their families and their social lives. But like, how do we start to create a culture 
in our community where we start our we start to become the advocates and and we start to make the change that we want to see versus we're very I think as humans we're very responsive right like oh this is happening I need to respond to that or um, versus being proactive right and it's it's a lot easier to say oh this isn't my phase this is an issue that I need to deal with versus saying this is something that I believe in and that we need to start dealing with and so I'd like to see more people get involved and to really whatever it is that they're passionate about but we need to start to be the ones that are knocking on our legislators doors and saying hey we're the experts here this is who we are this is what we do this is how we can help you Hmm. versus them like retroactively coming to us or not even coming to us right because they don't know who we are and so i think as AI colorado we've done a lot a better job of that being more proactive in terms of our government affairs committee and how we respond to bills and that's been really awesome to see but it'd be great to have more architects involved in figuring out how we could solve these big problems that we're facing and i know a lot of people care but it takes time mm-hmm. energy and people have lives and they have families and and so it's how do you find that balance how do we create a culture that um or how do we give people the the toolkits that they need to start to make this change in whatever capacity that they can um and I think that's where AI can come in. You know, how can we start to educate and provide the tools necessary for everyone to take whatever path they want, but at least it's in the right direction. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, and I like that of, of sort of. I feel like you were you were creating that that sort of framework or scaffolding within the AIA to try to get people closer. To affecting that change, you know, like if if there's no organization, you're spending all your time on organization or whatever. But yeah, yeah, but exactly. kind of setting that to be able to affect change. I mean, because you know, these issues feel so daunting and so so much larger than this the agency that a single architect normally has, right? Um, I mean, for sure. I mean, for instance, take the 2030 challenge, the AI 2030 challenge. Yeah. My, our firm wasn't a signatory on that until last year, the year before, maybe it was last year, 2020. And we didn't know it, what it was about, but it's like, you just got to sign up, then you got to figure it out. And you got to just start taking the steps as a firm to figure out what you need to do to track your projects. And it's something that we're still working on and trying to figure out, you know, our goal this past, maybe it was the first quarter of this year, it was like, all right, we're just going to get all of our projects logged into that database. That's a step. And then we're going to figure out what the next step is there. And so you got to just break things down into more manageable steps and start to make that change in whatever process you want. You know, same with Jedi, you know, last year we started a Jedi committee in our office, not knowing what to do or what we're going to talk about. Mm. But we had a small group of people and we started to talk about it and figure out and figure out topics to talk about. And so every month now, we have a different topic that we come together and talk about as an office. And it's been through those conversations ha- has allowed us to open up in a way that is really inspiring. Like 
hearing people's stories, personal stories, and for people to be vulnerable with one another has allowed us to work better as teams on our projects and solve problems better together because of that vulnerability that has come through these Jedi discussions. And it's been really eye-opening to see that change over the past six months. Hmm. That's cool. Well, you know, again, I've kind of, since I moved here, kind of just like looked up to you in a lot of different ways and uh, appreciated seeing you, uh, what you do and, and uh, the kind of leadership you provide the community. So, but thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good one. All right. See you. Thank you for listening to this week's show. You can visit architecting.com. That's architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. So what what is the, what, what's the next goal? After? Well, you know, so for me, it's more about the firm now, mm-hmm. right? How can we create a culture that really like my vision is I want to create the best firm that I can, you know, I want to. I want us to be the best, you know, our, our, our 10 year goal is to be national firm of the year. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, we submit, we submitted for Colorado this year. We submitted last year, but we didn't get it. We, I don't know why. Maybe that was president. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I feel like we have a shot, but you know, it's, and, and so that goal is a, it's a great achievement, right? Like national firm of the year, you've made it, you've done it, but really, to me, it's about not just the winning that award. Once again, it's about what we have to do there to get there, right? What steps do we have to put in place? And by putting those in place, that means that we're doing our projects are excellent. Like our the work that we're doing is above everyone else. Thought that we put into them is above everyone else. And but not only that, it's about the culture of the place and the people that work there. And that means that our culture is, in my eyes, is the best. Like we are functioning as one unit. We are all on the same page. We are all really, I guess, you know, like, and what I'm trying to say, like everything is just functioning right the way it's supposed to be. We, we, we are starting to put these stepping stones into place, you know, like our sustainability committee, our Jedi committee, and we're starting to see that traction and how that's starting to shape who we are as people. And even just talking about, we, we started this thing called, um, it's called Foomph Project Showcase. Hmm. And so it's like every other week or you know every couple weeks we showcase a project and it doesn't have to be one of our projects it could be about anything Hmm. and someone in our office talks about it we've done one on the vietnam memorial we've done one on one of the artists down in marfa texas and we've done some on our one on our project and but it's been this really great dialogue just about design and it's been really refreshing and seeing how everyone kind of wants to like everyone has that like you become an architect is you want to be a great designer yeah. right? 
and you get so bogged down in the process of just doing your projects. And so it's been really refreshing to step back and examine someone else's work in a, in a very detailed way and to think about their process mm. and, and how that starts to make you think about what you're doing in a different way. And so like, I, I feel like all these little pieces that we're starting to put in place, are just going to kind of grow into who knows, but it's been really fun to kind of start to create this culture of like that vulner once again, that vulnerability through the Jedi and how that's really affected how people work together. That's been really interesting and cool to see the ability of just talking about other projects, not our projects, but just projects and how what makes them great and unique and different and how that starts to get people excited and thinking about their work in a different way. And then this is really fun. I don't know if you've heard this, but we started what we call our department of curiosities. I saw that. Uh, yeah. On Instagram. And yeah. so the whole thought behind this was kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, you think about life and the memories that are most memorable to you or the places that you visit that are most memorable to you. And why do those places kind of stick out to you? It's the, it's the unknown. It's the, it's the awe, it's the surprise. It's, these, it's the curiosity of a place. And so we wanted to start to create these curated um, events where those moments can occur. <laughs> and so we've had our first event and it was a dinner party for the office and the invite went out and it was only for people that were in the office. And it's a dinner at, at RSA at seven 30. Uh, it was like a Thursday night. And so so Brian, my partner, and then Tyler in my office, they were like, we're not going to tell you what's happening. You're going to be a part of this experience too. And so we get we, the rest of the office that night, we went and got a couple of drinks down the street. And then we show back up at the office at 730 and all the lights are off. And we've got this long table down the center of our space and all, all the lights down the table were tur turned to these red lights. Uh -huh. and, at the front desk, there was this sign and I had a knife on it said dinner served promptly at 7.50, see you there. And then under each one of the lights were these cocktail glasses that said, let's get weird. That's kind of our motto for the curiosity because like we want to like, we want people to get out of their shell and start to think about things in a different way and, and have those unexpected moments. And so everyone had a cocktail, like picked it up and then there was a coaster under each cocktail. And there was a letter on each coaster. And so we had to spell it out and it said, follow the red dot. And so as you kind of went down the table at the back of the office, there was this big red balloon with a target on it. And so I took the knife and I popped that. And then inside there was this key fob. And so I take the key fob and I put it in my pocket. And then there was, we see these series of red dots. There was one on the back door. And so we go outside and we all have our cocktails. And then we follow the, the series of red dots spray painted on the ground like through the alley, out to the street, up the street, until we got to the corner of 19th and Blake. And we're all like, oh, like the red dots disappeared. We're like, where are they? We're all looking around. We're like walking in the middle of the street. There's like cars going by. We all have our drinks in our hands. And, and then all of a sudden we look up Caddy Corner and we see this red balloon start flying up air and then we see like another one kind of wave over like the side of the building and we're like oh we got to go to that building <laughs> you go over to that building and the door's locked and i use the key fob to get in 
And so we go into the lobby and there's another sign. It's like your attire for this evening. And there's all these big, like colorful bow ties <laughs> that were clipped onto it. And so we all grabbed the bow tie and put it on. And then we follow these red dots to the elevator and there's red dots to take us up to the fourth floor. And so finally we end up on this patio, this like rooftop deck. And there's another side that says, kindly please remove your shoes and socks. And then, so everyone does. And then the entire deck is just covered with this red bubble wrap. Whoa. And, and then we had this catered dinner on this rooftop, barefoot, stepping on this red bubble wrap. And it was like the most like mind blowing kind of like thing, just to like, and, 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 you know, that's a memory that we're all going to remember. And, and that's an experience. And so how do we start to get out of our normal process of, and rigor of just like, this is how you do a project and blah, blah, blah. But how do we start to unlock people's imagination of what can be happen and, and how can we start to be more creative through that process and question the norms and, and think about things differently. Think about how you feel in a space differently. Like, I want to start to get everyone to stop thinking about this is how it needs to work. I want to, I want you to design with feeling. You know? mm. I want, you know, when you walk into St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and, and the grandiosity of it all, like it takes your breath away. It's like, oh, like you feel something. How do we start to design with feeling instead of just programmatic elements? And, and, you know, feeling is what is memorable. And that's the thing that I want to ingrain into people. Mm. So. It'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. We we're in the middle of planning our next event, and um, it's good. And and the idea is that you know eventually we're going to start to engage the community in this, and or like invite other people to these. And so our next one, it's going to be you can invite a plus one, and then you know we'll see how it goes from there. But our our goal is to do six events a year, and um, and they're going to be mind blowing, and and really challenge people's like norms so i'm excited they're gonna be the hottest ticket in town and be we'll see. We'll see. so so each to each time a different person uh is in charge so no so tyler in her office she is our um our director of curiosities mm -hmm. and so we don't we want the we will so it's tyler brian and i who basically decide what we're doing and then we, the three of us will implement it but we want everyone else to not have a clue of what mm -hmm. they're wanting to do and so it'll be good that's cool. I want. I really wanted that story because I was so intrigued by by that those Instagram posts. I was like, "It's wild, man." What are these guys doing? Like, hung out on a bubble wrap and <laughs> have a party, but it's pretty fun. Like just the textural feel. Like that's the other thing. It's like, how can you think about architecture? Not only like the feeling that of a space or or something, but you know, texture. How do you think about texture in a way and, and how people experience things? Um, it's very interesting. Like it. It's just like we need to think about our spaces differently and make it more human right and and have people feel things in a way and i think that's the best architecture is when you feel something yeah well and also that just that idea of, of stepping back from this sort of normal rhythm of life that we all get sucked into like what you're saying with the aia of like okay here's some issues let's let's step back and figure it out and or here instead of let's we know how to put trace down and draw some booths and some tables to do a restaurant but let's step back and like think about the experience and right get outside of our right lives. it's all about experiencing um, life i mean we all have lived these like day-to-day -day lives like how do we start to experiencing experience things in a way that excites us or will give us pleasure and i don't know like life is so can be so just 
once again, it's that flat line. Yeah. How do we create these ripples? Yeah. Does that, do you, would you say that translates over to your painting as well? Is that? You know, I don't know. I, I get ideas for paint. I, I think my paintings are a creative outlet for me in a way that, you know, as a principal, I'm involved in projects, all the projects, and I'm the design principal. And like, I, I, I get a kick of that, but it's like, I'm not sitting down like in Revit anymore and just drawing. And so, and thinking about things in that sense. And so it's the painting for me is like, it's a creative outlet of where I think of an idea and I want to explore that. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that it allows me, I think it does translate to that about exploring ideas and, and, and feeling, you know, like I think painting, you're able to really feel things through painting. Mm -hmm. um, and the best paintings are something that allows you to, it pulls something out of you, you know? You ever look at a Rothko or you know something it's it's powerful and, and it's it's powerful to everyone in a different way you know it's that feeling that is pulled from you versus trying to push it on you it it, it, it pulls from you yeah I know I just said that because this whole interview I've just been kind of mesmerized by those paintings behind you and just the like spatial kind of implicate implications and and just the sort of freedom that that gives you right of stepping outside the kind of bounds and prescriptions of architecture and sure. um, yeah you did those you did those that series behind you yeah yeah nice yeah yeah again that's I, I i took some painting in school and stuff and i really like it but i never find time to or space or uh you know there's man I got my easel set up in my living room. Oh, dude. nice. Usually <laughs> like, painting in my kitchen and do it when after after my son goes to bed and it's just like, I don't know, it's either that or I can watch some TV. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. Just get it started. Once again, it's like it's that just that ability to just take that first step and do it. And I think a lot of people have a hard time of taking that initial step, but once you do and you just kind of build on that. Yeah. Tell me about and and you can you can jump off whenever you need to, but I'm I I, just, I love that um that house renovation you guys did and won some awards for. Yeah, the rabbit house. Yeah, the rabbit house. Tell me a bit about that kind of process and ideas yeah. behind it, and yeah. I mean, it's yeah, I think it's a great project. Yeah, that was fun. So those are my two good friends, Megan and Bo, they own that house and known them since uh, 2005 or six, but uh, Bo bought that house in maybe 2002. It's in the West Highlands. and He's always taught, it was a one story Tudor house with a basement. And he'd always talked about, oh, I want to do this project. And, and then all of a sudden they had heard that their neighborhood, the West Highlands was turning into a historic district. Ah. And so he's like, we got to go no time. And so, so, you know, of course, like all of our projects, we, we like to gather a lot of as much information as we possibly can about the site, the history, the context. And so I did a lot of research about, you know, those Tudor houses from the late 1930s, found some, Bo found this article um, about the house, about the architect his name was R.O. Perry, and he built a handful of these. He came over from England and built a house. Hmm. Handful of these. 
Tudor houses in that neighborhood. And what the, the article talked about before there was a house on this lot, this uh, little girl who was like when she was interviewed, it was a little, it was an old lady, but she had told the newspaper that she remembered going over to that house and harvesting alfalfa to feed to her rabbits, her pet rabbits. Huh. So that's where the rabbit house huh. name came from. And so Bo and Megan, they wanted to keep the integrity of the existing house as much as possible. They wanted to add a second story and get some more space and they wanted an open floor plan. So we came up with this idea I, I came up with this idea. It was like, all right, well, let's leave the, the existing brick house as is, and then let's extrude up out of it. And then we extended it out of the back to get this nice covered patio and then stairs in a, inside the house because they wanted it to be such an open floor plan. I was like, all right, well, let's pull the stairs out of the inside. So that way we could get the floor plan that we want and have that stair tower be on the outside and connect all three stories then the basement the first floor and the second floor and the other big issue of that was that the way that that slope site um that that site slopes was that in the old house you would walk in you had to go up some stairs they need to be on the first floor and then to get to the basement you had to walk down some stairs and then you were out and so there was this disconnect from the from the exterior to the interior and we wanted to have this nice flow from the interior and the exterior and kind of have this opening there and so we, I said, all right, well, let's just bring up that patio to the same finished floor so that way we can have that nice interior and exterior flow. And then you step down to the base or to the backyard from, from the patio on the outside. And so that's kind of how it all came. But, you know, through the idea of the house, it was, you know, we wanted the form to match the existing gable roof lines of the existing house and so we knew what the pitch had to be for that and so that really set the idea in the form and we wanted it to be this simple massing as well not be broken up we wanted to really feel like it was this modern interpretation of a tudor house versus um just a pop top you know like we wanted to feel like it was it spoke to the old the new spoke to the old as well as the old spoke to the new. And so thinking about Tudor houses and the materials that were used historically on those, they were considered noble materials, mm. brick and stone and um, slate and and the window sizes and how we can play with those in terms of, and, and do these modern interpretations of the windows on the house to match the existing windows of the existing building but thinking about okay well what what are noble materials today and so metal considered a noble material we, we use brick but we we wanted to use a different color brick to really offset it from and make it be known that this is new versus trying to match it and so really playing with these two ideas of old and new and how these old noble materials spoke to these new modern noble materials that we felt were that were appropriate for the project but but then like the floor plan like really like giving them the function and the the ability to to have a space that they wanted to live in and, and function the way they needed to function was important as well so and that that covered patio space becomes a great you know year-round place where they can hang out and um it, it was that was a really fun project too yeah, yeah. i love that the, just that I want to get a lot more uh, knowledgeable about 
Denver architectural history, you know, there's such such rich kind of past and, and so many different styles and and then that ability to really yeah, bring bring those kind of micro stories and just in general be able to speak about the typologies, you know, into these new projects where you know, we're just getting overwhelmed by by sort of sameness or blandness. Yeah. Um but just those stories like like the rabbit or like the the light you know uh that where two percent of people know it but once you do it that you know layers of richness um yeah it's great yeah yeah i mean that's that's the fun part it's like how you know as architects we are artists we create our own stories and so by and and we and we are storytellers through the work that we do and so to be able to take that history and that all that information that you learn and condense it into something that makes sense for that project, for that place, for that context and the people that are working or living there or playing there and have it make sense. Like, and it can be nothing else other than that. And you're able to convey that story and get people to see that. Like, and like, Oh yes. Like, I mean, it's, it's fun, right? It's yeah. like, that's like the best part of like being an architect is like, you are this master storyteller through this tangible thing that people get to experience and live and you know yeah it's fun yeah exactly and it's so easy to get pulled down into the practicalities of it but to stay stay above it and and take that breath yeah uh. well cool let's see did we miss anything got any other good stories or I don't know. I think I've layered enough in there. If, I, if yeah. anything else comes up, I'll let you know. <laughs> nice. I like it. So um, I, I, I sort of got a little burned out. So I'm I'm sort of taking a taking a break for. Well, I say taking a break, but I keep, I'm I keep doing interviews, but I just won't put them out for maybe a month or two. But um, cool. so I'll, I'll let you know. Um, yeah, and let you know if you want to listen to it first and. You didn't say anything too controversial, I think, but if you want yeah. want to take it out. No, no, man. You know, throwing the fox in the shits yeah, and all that. I like I it. I mean, everyone knows me for that anyway. <laughs> like I said, I got to be authentic in who I am. So. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Good talking. Yeah, man. Let's grab Good a beer sometime. Talking. Yeah. Let me know, dude. Um, And if you have any questions about starting your own firm or like, like you said, let's grab a beer. Yeah. I'm happy to help you any way I can. Yeah. I'd really appreciate that. Sweet. For sure. Cool. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.